Thanks for tuning into the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your practice of play theory, a life strategy that cultivates hope, generosity, and validation of self and others. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we believe life is a team sport, and we're all in this together. So let's join forces as we focus on the positive and share tips and practices to up your happiness game. I'm your host, Larie Florence. Before we get started on today's episode, I'd like to do a post-game analysis of episode 85. Did you use the power of a drishti, something you were focused on each day, like an affirmation or a specific goal? Did you set a reminder to choose a time each day that you checked in and identified what you were focusing on in that moment? If it wasn't something that was important to you, were you able to redirect your attention and apply the power of drishti with its power of focus? Let us know in the comments on playtheory.org or on our Instagram account, The Happiness Playbook. Also, curious, did you notice the bladder meinhof phenomena or frequency illusion? Let us know if you did. Last week in episode 85, I shared a fun activity that helps us tune into how hard focusing can actually be. Did anyone get the chance to play it? How did it go? Let us know in the comments or send us a message on Instagram. If you like the games, let us know and we'll try to share more. All right, it's time for our Happiness Playbook team huddle. Thank you so much for those of you who let me know that you're enjoying the podcast. Landon came over and was actually playing pickleball on our court the other night, and he made a point of letting me know how he's listening each week and really enjoying the weekly challenges and suggestions on practicing play theory. That's what we're all about, trying to support you in your practice of principles that elevate and strengthen individuals and ultimately our entire culture. Can you imagine a society where everyone practices play theory? There would still be challenges and opportunities to grow, but it would be so much more validating, supportive, and fun. So please spread the word and share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from these principles. For our highlight reel, this comes from the Good News Network. The article title is, Women Who Hug a Loved One Showed a Decrease in the Production of Cortisol. Let me break that down just a little bit. In this study, which focused on women, they found that during a hug, oxytocin was released. And this is a chemical, it's known as the love hormone. It reduces circulating cortisol, buffering the stress response. And for those who don't know, cortisol is harmful in excess in the body, which is one of the factors that contributes to high stress levels, bringing on challenging health issues or poor health. It's involved with a lot of disease processes. So anything that we can do to lower our risk of disease is beneficial, especially if it's something as wonderful as giving more hugs. So get out there and hug someone. I'll put the link for that on the show notes on our webpage, playtheory.org. On that note, it's time for our play-by-play for this week's episode. Has this ever happened to you? You're enjoying an evening of cards with friends, and someone gets unlucky one time too many, and suddenly everyone is walking on eggshells because they know that person is about to lose it. 
In junior high, I had a close group of friends that got together to play games every weekend. A few of our favorites were interestingly called sorry, trouble, and my favorite, risk, or as I liked to call it, risk your friendship. Inevitably, by the end of that game, someone was in tears and everyone, even the winner, was miserable. I have three sons that I am proud of for being able and willing to play together while they were growing up. A favorite game of theirs was, and still is, Carcassonne. They and a few friends would hole up in the basement and play for hours. There was a pretty consistent pattern of laughter, then long patches of silence, punctuated by an outburst of yelling, followed by raised voices counseling the unhappy player, which eventually died down and the game would continue. I asked why they liked to play the game when there was often contention and fighting that went on. They said it was still fun and they usually or almost always sorted it out. Games like Carcassonne are based on rules, risks, and luck. They can be a lot like life, but with lower stakes. They're a great place to figure out how to handle disappointments and how to celebrate the wins without rubbing salt in the other player's wounds. After all, remember, in every game, there are going to be losers and winners, or sometimes just one winner. In sports, 50% of the players win and 50% lose. So in pickleball, I like to remember that in every match, half of the people playing lose and half win. I play pickleball, and one of the things that I love about it is the positive culture. There's a saying that learning pickleball is like playing checkers, but to master it is like playing chess. As I've worked on developing strategy, it's super fun to play with others who are also working on those same skills. It can also be frustrating to play with others who aren't at that level yet. Something I do when I'm in that situation is to focus on a specific skill I'm trying to develop, like following the ball or holding my paddle in the ready position. And then instead of counting points, I count my errors. This shifts the outcome more into an area I can control. Because I'm paired with someone who's playing at a lower level, we might lose, but I can still have fun because I'm focused on development and friendship instead of winning. It's said that all frustration comes from unmet expectations. So by shifting my expectation away from winning, which I don't have a lot of control over in that situation, even if I'm paired with a partner at my own level, too, I still don't have a lot of control over whether I win. But my focus or my technique is something I can control. So when I'm focused on something that's within my sphere of influence, it lowers my frustration and ironically, it improves my chances of winning. I think we can go into a game with a subconscious expectation that if we lose, we're not as valuable as our opponent. That's just not true. There will always be someone better and always someone worse. Even the greats of any sport are eventually replaced by an up-and-coming athlete. My friend Christy Lammy is an exceptional pickleball player. She wins tournaments and is sponsored. She inspires me in so many ways. 
Nothing gets past her on the pickleball court, for one. And more importantly, she's always having fun, smiling and being gracious. So gracious, she even plays in matches with me sometimes. Now, I know I'm not as good as her, and because I have the expectation that she is much more skilled than I am, I never feel bad when I lose against her. On the other hand, when I play against my husband and he wins, I can get angry sometimes because we started playing at the same time, and I expect that I'm as good as him. It also helps that when I lose to Christy, she's never smug when she wins. She does celebrate, though. So what's the difference? It's appropriate to smile and enjoy that we did great. It's like saying, I'm happy with my performance. Smugness, on the other hand, feels like it's all about being better than the other person, not about playing your best. It's like saying, I'm happy that you lost. Because smugness is personal, it's hard not to take it personally. If that ever happens to you, remember to focus on what you're doing to improve and measure yourself against your goals and not another's need to overshadow you. If that truly is someone's motive, know that their self-worth is built on a sandy foundation of always needing to be better than someone else, which must be exhausting because if they're honest, there will always be someone better than them. If you fall into this trap, the way out is to focus on being better than who you were the last time you played. Outplaying yourself is a win-win because you'll always have something to celebrate and your odds of winning will continue to improve as you continue to develop better skills. Another problem that can arise when playing games is the whole that's not fair fiasco. Whether it's a ref calling a foul you feel wasn't warranted or another player rolling two Yahtzees and you're stuck with a pair of twos for the third turn, life seems to do that. The truth is, if you stay in the game long enough, the luck will shift to your corner and then others will be calling out unfair to you. If you can accept that that is part of the game, you'll be less frustrated and even amazed when it happens. If you do catch yourself saying something like, they have all the luck, ask yourself if you really believe that. That's a scarcity mindset. Luck is not a finite thing. If one person has some, that doesn't mean there's less for the rest of us. We've talked about how in every game, there's going to be a winner and a loser. What if instead of focusing on that, your focus was on the playing of the game? Sometimes when I'm playing pickleball, a rally goes back and forth with amazing shots and returns and crazy gets that you can't believe made it back over the net. They're surprising and so spectacular that both teams celebrate. At the end of the match, if I end up losing, does that negate all the fun I had while playing all of those amazing rallies, some of which I won? Does the final loss eliminate all that great juju of the previous rallies that were so much fun? Let's say there's a sport or skill set that you're working on improving. I get that. Seeing improvement is part of your expectation and it's hard to not feel disappointed if you aren't seeing improvement. Coming up with a mantra or reminder to help you stay hopeful and focused on progress will help. Because I know that mistakes are opportunities to learn, I like to say, next time when I miss a shot or make a dumb mistake while playing. 
Then I move my focus back to the current moment and let go of the mistake and stop dwelling on it. The play theory skill of let go and play really is a powerful tool in this circumstance. This gives me a better chance of being present, which is where I'll be the most effective. Think about baseball. A Hall of Famer's batting average is somewhere around 330. That means that on average, they hit the ball one out of three times, or they miss the ball twice as much as they hit it. What would you think a successful base player, baseball player is focusing on? The balls they miss or what is working well for them? One last thought on the pain of losing when we make the game about our self-worth, it's impossible to not feel terrible about losing. Our value is not determined by the outcome of a game of sport or worse yet, a game of chance. Even athletes that make seven-figure salaries can lose in the real game of life and miss out on true happiness if they value their performance on the field more than everything else in life. So let's review. Games are good. They lower the stakes and allow us to pr practice reacting to the real-life scenarios where someone comes out on top and the others don't. Disappointment is, a, is very real out there in the big world. Expectations affect our level of frustration. When we understand we aren't always going to win, we're less disappointed when we do lose. Our focus will always affect the outcome. In pickleball, focusing on skills can improve our game, and when playing games, if we're focused on building friendships and having fun, we'll do more of that, win or lose. Instead of focusing on beating others, focus on beating yourself by improving every time you play. Life isn't fair. For the vast majority of us, we get far more than we truly deserve. Enjoy the whole game, not just the part where one of you wins. Remember, mistakes are opportunities to learn. When they happen, take note and move on. Finally, our worth is not determined by how we perform in a game. So wrapping up, how do we keep our heads and not lose our cool when we lose? In the article in NPR, a playful way to teach kids to control their anger, we learn about the Inuit people and how they manage to have calm, well-grounded children. I'll put a link to the article in the show notes. In Inuit culture, there's a high value on reacting peacefully and not in anger. Overall, even among young children, they don't lose their tempers. Lisa Fieldman Barrett, a psychologist at Northeastern University who studies how emotions work, said, when you try to control or change your emotions in the moment, that's a really hard thing to do. But if you practice having a different response or a different emotion at times when you're not angry, you'll have a better chance of managing your anger in those hot button moments. The Inuit people do this by acting out scenarios that might cause anger with their young children and modeling an accepting and calm response. The role-playing is a way to practice responses outside of the knee-jerk of anger. Lisa Feldman Barrett goes on to say, practice is essentially helping to rewire your brain to be able to make a different emotion 
besides anger much more easily. A little forethought and some effort on our part can make games an ideal place for us to practice more peaceful responses when we're frustrated, disappointed, or angry. We've all felt that surge of adrenaline and red-hot fury rising up when we felt slighted, hurt, or bitterly disappointed. Despite our best efforts to live peacefully among our fellow men, we'll still face situations that push our buttons. Practicing a more temperate and, dare I say, civilized response is a powerful tool in anger management. And as we like to call it in play theory, letting go and playing is a great way to stay in the game and have fun. Alexander Hamilton once said, the best way is ever not to attempt to stem a torrent, but to divert it. I like that. So it's really, really hard to stop a torrent of anger, but if you can push it to the side or divert it another direction, maybe you're really, really sad you lost, but instead of focusing on that or trying to stop the sadness or the anger, Instead, could you focus on celebrating with your friend that did win? It's really hard to stop that feeling of anger, resentment, jealousy, when someone appears to have all the luck, but we can divert it into another less caustic path that can actually be edifying instead of destructive to our friendships and our own emotional well-being. So for this week's Play of the Week, I'd like you to take a few minutes and think of a situation that often gets your blood boiling. Maybe it's losing at a game. Maybe it's another person who rubs you the wrong way with their smugness. Imagine that same scenario and instead of reacting in anger, role play a reaction that's calm. Maybe you're able to ask why the other person needs to lord a victory over you, not asking them out loud, but in your mind. Can you feel peace from a place of abundance and see their pride for what it really is? a fear-based outlook that feels challenged by others' success? Maybe you can celebrate their win with them and be happy that they got a turn to feel triumphant, remembering that we all don't win every time. Maybe you can come up with a phrase that helps you calm down or remember to celebrate, something like, winning feels great, good for you, or I really enjoyed playing with you, thanks for a great game. It can even be something just for you, like, I can't win every time, but I can have fun every time. If you're struggling with this, look at your expectations for the situation and see if they serve you or if you need to adjust your mindset. If I had the expectation that I should win when I play with my pickleball pal, Christy, playing with her would no longer be fun and I'd miss out on some wonderful times and also a great opportunity to improve. Well, that's it for this week's episode. You can read more about the articles we talked about in our show notes. We hope that if you did enjoy the podcast, you'll give us a five-star review on iTunes. And even better, take a minute and write a review. Next week, we're going to ask the question, can accepting pain minimize suffering? We'll talk more about this crazy idea in our upcoming episode. Hope to see you there. Until then, catch you next time. Keep practicing and have a great week.